everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, I discuss whether it's smart for Leon Edwards to sit out and wait for a title shot or take on another dangerous wealth weight. I also sit down with Rob Lewis, the Disabled American Veterans National Communications Director, about the amazing work the DAB is doing with our brave men and women of the armed services and what kind of people are getting recruited into the military today. In that vein, we discuss the best military movies of all time because it's got to be a big list. Edwards Masvidal Fallout. That's right. So uh, we we had some speculation yesterday. When this first hit, we broke the news because that's how we are to all our loyal listeners. And we were kicking around some ideas. We were kicking around some possible opponents. We'll get to that in a minute. One thing we didn't kick around, really, was the idea that uh, Leon Edwards wouldn't fight anyone. That didn't occur to me. I'll explain in a second why it didn't occur to me. But first, why do we kind of believe that might be the case now? Okay, this is from his Leon Edwards' official Twitter. Disappointed. But honestly, I knew this fraud didn't want to fight me anyway. He was just a stop off on my way to the title. Here's the sentence. The goal remains the same. Much Dean in family time now. Usman. And, of course, it was Kamaru Usman's uh, Twitter. He tagged, I will see you soon. What? Huh? Time out? The goal remains the same. Much needed family time now. Usman, I'll see you soon. No. No, 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 no. What are you talking about? No. Yeah, I, I, all right. Well, I was headed to the title anyway, so forget this little stop-off I was going to have with Jorge Masvidal. I'm just going to fight, you know, Kamaru, as one does, as I do. Um, coming off a win over Nate Diaz. Before that, a no contest with Bilal Muhammad. Right, yeah. Boom, I'm right there anyway. This is just a little stop-off. I'm just not going to make that stop-off. Hit the gas and go right to the title. No, you won't. I really believe this would be a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. Here's the deal in MMA. It's the only um, combat sport that the idea of to fight or not to fight is very common. Uh, Do I hold on for a title opportunity or do I fight in the meantime and take a potential trap fight? Does it happen in boxing? Yeah, it happens less in boxing. Even great fighters who are headed toward big paydays generally fight in the meantime. Now, there are trap fights. Buster Douglas was a trap fight for Mike Tyson before Evander Holyfield. Okay? Um, Obviously, Anthony Joshua against Alexander Usyk before waiting for the winner of uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder ended up losing that fight. Now he's in third place. Yeah, third or fourth place, depending on how you see it. So it does happen in boxing, but a lot of boxers, just even high-level guys, stay busy fighting somebody. They generally don't take a lot of time off waiting around for a big title fight to come together because title fights take a long time to come together in boxing. They do. So this problem is kind of unique to mixed martial arts. Should I wait around for the title shot or should I fight in the meantime? I don't know what Leon Edwards is thinking. We saw or heard recently what Dana White had to say 
about fighters waiting out for fights. Doesn't like it. He's talking about Carla Esparza. Of course, you know, now Rose Namajunas defeating Willie Zhang for the second time. They need a contender. What do you know? Who's ranked next? Carla Esparza. And Dana White virtually shot it down. Because Carla Esparza had said, I want to wait out for a title shot. Now, she's ranked third, right? She recently beat Sha- uh, Yan Xiaonan. Before that, I was Marina Rodriguez. She's got some excellent wins comparatively recently, and she's not allowed to sit out. Leon Edwards, and we'll discuss what criteria allows a fighter to wait out and not wait out. Whatever it is that allows a fighter to wait out, Leon Edwards doesn't have it. He's not a huge name. He's not a gigantic draw. He's not a fan favorite. Does he have an exciting style? Sure. You know, boxing-centric, essentially striking-centric. But he's not the kind of name that MMA fans would pause for a year and wait for him to get a title shot, especially against Kamara Usman, who is mowing down everybody. So that perceived disparity between Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards, fair or not, is going to make fans go, okay, I'll take him, but I'll take somebody else too. Right, so I don't think sitting out is a great idea. Also, it seems as though everyone in their mother is lining up for an opportunity at Leon Edwards to fill this spot. Kamzat Shemaev, as we said yesterday, is certainly in the mix. He said it on social media. Brett Akimoto said it, that that's a possibility. Or was it Brett Akimoto? It was uh, Errol Hawani said he reached out to his management. They want to put it together. Now, Nick Diaz throwing his hat in the ring, right? So he was actually responding to Brett Akimoto's tweet about Kamzat Shemaev, and then Nick Diaz jumps in and says, put me in. I'll do it. Bilal Muhammad. I took it on two weeks last time. Give me four this time. I'm ready. Bilal Muhammad, of course, wanting a rematch with Leon Edwards. Last time it was an eye poke. So there's that. Gilbert Dorino Burns. What's up, Leon Edwards? You're already on training camp. Let me know. You Hashtag UFC 269. So there are a lot of options. It's short notice. Some of them are, at least, I'd say a good number of them are winnable. Bilal Muhammad, very winnable. Nick Diaz, I think very winnable for Leon Edwards. Kamzat Shemaev would be tough. Gilbert Burns is another way to look at it, too. If you're going to fight any of these guys, it won't get any easier later. Gilbert Burns and Kamzat Shemaev are the two toughest guys who have stood up and said, I'll take on Leon Edwards. Those are two toughest. Get them now. Get them now. Why? The fight date means they don't get a full camp. You got a full camp. You're going to have to take these people on eventually. Just is what it. You're going to have to take them on eventually. So why not take on the tough ones now when they don't have all the opportunities in the world? I don't think there's any other way to say it. If you're, you're going to take on Kamzat Shemaev eventually, might as well do it now. It's the toughest one out of there of, of, of the ones that stepped up. Maybe Gilbert Burns. That's possible, too. So it's, you know, it's, it, it's tough. But they have till December 11th to get ready. They have exactly a month. You've had a full camp. So that's kind of the deal. So now let's go back to them Twitter verses. 
and look at Mike Bond. Wonderboy Thompson versus Bilal Muhammad is agreed upon for UFC Fight Night on December 18th. Uh, sources tell MMA Junkie and myself. So it looks like Bilal Muhammad has a dance partner for the 18th. That also takes Wonderboy Thompson out of the mix. If he would have stepped up and taken on Leon Edwards, he's out of the mix. So we're left with Gilbert Burns, Kamzat Shumayev, Nick Diaz. Uh, Nick Diaz is the most beatable. Nick Diaz is a big name that would draw a lot of eyeballs. I would take Nick in that one. Also, you just beat Nate, so you've been training for that style for quite a while. But I really honestly believe that this is a guy, with in Leon Edwards, with his stock as a fighter, his stock in the UFC, his relationship with Dana White, sitting out's a bad idea. It just is. Also, this division is full of murderers, absolute killers, and they're going to be climbing over your dead, bloated body to get to that third place spot. And Dana White has no reason to keep it warm for you. None. I, of course, later on the show will discuss why some people get a pass and others don't. Some can wait out for a title shot and others can't. But those factors are not... uh, They are not factors that Leon Edwards has. He is not a company guy they really want anything to do with. His major claim to fame, his major claim to fame, period, end of sentence, is his uh, win streak that he hasn't lost in a long time. Now, that's not wrong. He does have an impressive win streak. He really does. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve the next opportunity. He just might. Hasn't lost since losing to Kamaru Usman, December 2015. But when you look at who he's beaten, Dominic Waters, uh, Albert Tumanoff, Vicente Luque, Brian Barbarena, Peter Sobata, Cowboy Cerrone, Gunnar Nelson, Rafael Dos Anjos. Then, of course, the no contest to Bilal Muhammad and the win over Nate Diaz. The last fighter of substance that he beat Rafael Dos Anjos, former champ at 155, too small for 170, but definitely a respected name in the sport. Hey, guess what? Three years ago, three years ago, since you've had a significant win, I do not consider a win over Nate Diaz as dominant as it was a significant win. The guy's not a player at 170. He can't afford to sit this one out. He can't do it. Kamaru Usman... Against Colby Covington, A, went through a five-round war. Long fight, very tough. It's going to take some time to get over that. Number two, he has said, my kid is not going to remember I was a multimillionaire. She's going to remember whether or not I was there for her. So speaking of family time, Leon Edwards, Kamar Usman would like to take some family time. That's pulling the, the meat out of the tank full of piranhas. What do they do? They eat each other. They eat each other, and you are one of them now. There's nothing you can You are one of them. Can he afford to wait out? I, I would say no. I would say it's the worst thing he could do. The UFC doesn't like it. If Kamzat Shemaev takes on, let me look at the UFC rant. Let me see what leapfrog could possibly happen here. When I look at it right now, when I look at the welterweight division, okay, when I look at it, uh, let's say you could get one of these guys. Let's say Michael Chiesa is a gamer. 
okay? Neil Magny's a gamer. Both of those guys I could see taking on Kamzat Shalem. I don't see anybody above there. Stephen Thompson, of course, taking on uh, Bilal Muhammad soon. I don't see him doing it. Uh, Vicente Luque, I don't see him risking his spot. But I would say Shemaya versus Neil Magny or Michael Chiesa. Let's say, for argument's sake, he takes on Michael Chiesa and blows him out of the water. Absolutely wrecks him. He leaps over Leon Edwards. He's the shiny new toy. And he hasn't fought and lost to Kamaru Usman like everyone else has. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Bob Lewis, National Communications Director for the Disabled American Veterans Organization. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Sorry I'm late. Uh, you know, I live out here in the boonies in Ohio. You know, sometimes it's a little tough getting connected. <laughs> I understand completely, man. It's no problem at all. So I'm going to ask you the question I was just uh, talking about on air, which is it seems like in a society where we're constantly thanking veterans, we're constantly singling them out, we're constantly talking about how much we appreciate them and love them, it's surprisingly difficult for them to get the services they need, uh, healthcare, education, et cetera. All the things you help them get are surprisingly difficult to get. Why is that? It's a very tough question to answer. The, what the I do. system, this is a yes, the tough questions. I, <laughs> I have it. tough questions, man. The, the system is, is, is built to take care of, it's the largest healthcare system in the world. You can't forget that. Uh, we've had uh, you know fewer and fewer men and women serving in the armed forces at the same time, right? So you have these two kind of clashing forces. Uh, you have just bureaucracy and all the all the how long it takes things to get done in Washington D.C. Look, it took for us to get a Department of Veterans Affairs that functions. It took hundreds or it took to thousands of disabled veterans to march on Washington D.C. in the in the 30s. Uh, during what was called the March of the Bonus Army, and they were shot. They were shot at. They were shot. They were fired upon by American troops on the on the the Capitol steps. Uh, and it took that for us to get a Department of Veterans Affairs. So this this many years later, it doesn't completely surprise me that despite the overwhelming uh, affection and care and and just concern that the average American has for the average veteran or poor veterans in general that we're still fighting this fight. Uh, is it what's the major roadblock when you look at it? Is it the bureaucracy? Is it the lack of understanding of what veterans, veterans go through and the help they need? What's the number one stumbling block between a veteran and the care they need in your experience? I would say that it is the evolving veteran the average veteran continues to change who that is what they need what they have been through uh there are some things that are constant if you've been in combat you're going to have have experienced some sort of stress right, right. if you have uh, if you've been exposed to, to some sort of toxic you know exposures which happened in world war one when the you know DAV was founded coming out of world war one right. uh you had guys getting uh mustard gassed uh, all the way through radiation exposure, uh, it, you know, when, once we became a, a nuclear nation, uh, onto uh, Agent Orange in Vietnam. And today, the biggest issue facing uh, disabled veterans, 
uh, veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan are burn pits, without question, toxic exposure. It is the Agent Orange of our day. Uh, and it's incredibly important that that you you what you have to do is believe these veterans when they're telling you they are experiencing these things, they're coming back with these rare forms of cancer. Uh, it, sometimes it can take a while to put the data together and, and you know, bureaucracy just uh, that just takes that amount of time you know we are a, a an organization that that fights on capitol hill we have a million veterans behind us even still with a million million veterans who are saying we want this done now it still takes us a long time to get things done so bureaucracy i think if, if you wanted to distill that that screed down to one word i would call it that and speaking to Rob Lewis, he's a National Communications Director for the Disabled American Veterans Organization. What has changed? Now, uh, I, I was talking about you know, my family history. My grandfather was in World War I. He's super old. My dad was in the Air Force right before Vietnam, 60 to 64. And the way we are, I don't want to say advertising or recruiting, however you want to put it, what the average volunteer or the average person who's going to enlist sees and why they do it. How has that changed over the years from, for example, my dad's generation, the Vietnam generation and my current generation. Okay. I grew up in the eighties, you know, obviously Afghanistan and Iraq were the wars of my generation. How is the average enlistee? How have they changed in terms of what they've ex they expect from military service, man? I, you know, I joined, uh, I was in the nineties. Uh, and the reason I joined was because I was a terrible college student and uh, I think that's a fairly common experience. Um, but you know, you go back to to World War II. You know, they they enlisted because they had to because America had been attacked. Yes. Uh, Two thousand one, the the same thing happened again. Uh, I think that 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 there are certain motivational factors. I would say that 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 evolve over time. They they wane. You know, sometimes it's it's a feeling of I'm protecting America. Uh, sometimes it is a feeling of, you know, my father did this, my grandfather did this, and so I'm going to do it. I would say that the Vietnam generation was a lot of that. You know, their their fathers were uh, the men uh, who who fought in World War II and women who fought in World War II. Uh, it was just something that was expected of them. Uh, to to you know, America said, hey, we need uh, our you know to to expend blood and treasure uh, in Vietnam, and we're going to do it. Um, that just continues to, you know, what actually is, is motivating people today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm closing in on 50, to be honest with you. So I can't tell you completely. But when I talk to disabled veterans, when I talk to veterans in general uh, who have served in the last 20 years, I would say what I hear from them are the same kinds of things. Um, I, I, I felt a need. I felt a calling. I felt an obligation. Something about... Um, I felt an, an emptiness without it. And, and I feel the same way, actually, about my service. Uh, I, I, you know, people thank me for my service and I always, and I, I thank them, you know, I, I thank them back, of course, and they say, of course, you're welcome. But, you know, I was a journalist in the Marine Corps in the 90s. Uh, I jokingly call myself a Clinton Marine. Uh, but there's still, there was something about being, having a common mission, having a common goal, having a, a just being a part of that, that that same paradigm, that same reality paradigm that was so comforting, uh, that was so welcoming that um, I really think that a lot of the, the mental health uh, problems that we're experiencing with veterans today is a result of taking that away from them too quickly and in the wrong kind of way. The differences in life experience, as I said, World War II, an infantry soldier was 27. In Vietnam, they're 19. 
So kind of that 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 idea of, as my dad said, once you graduate high school and you didn't have anything else, you got drafted. And so that idea of you went and you didn't have very much life experience. Do most people who enlist now have a little bit more life experience? How is it right now? I, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the average age is, but uh, what what we are seeing in terms of the, the veterans that we're talking to, yeah. they seem to be have a little bit more uh, experience. Uh, you know, of course, the, the the job market being what it is right now, it's just so uh, completely bizarre, turned sideways. Uh, you know, some people find the, the stability of, of military life, like I was, I was mentioning before, they find that very comforting. Um, I think that, that your average... Um, a uh, man or woman who is is signing up today is probably made out of the same substance as the as the 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 person who who stormed the beaches at um, Normandy, uh, but they have uh, you know a, a more of a world weariness perhaps you know they've yeah. seen more yeah. they've heard more they you know we all have you know probably a little bit too much been exposed to a little bit too much uh, so I I, I really <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to be a recruiter these days that's all I can say. <laughs> I understand, man. So talk about the UFC and what they've done to help you. Once again, Disabled American Veterans Organization. How has UFC Combat Sports helped you and your organization out, man? Well, we've had a relationship with ESPN that goes back at least five years. Uh, And, of course, we loved as soon as uh, UFC and ESPN joined forces uh, and, you know, UFC made that jump from Fox to, to, to ESPN. You know, we were plotting on the sidelines. Uh, because so many of our veterans spent time when they were in, in the service. When I was in the service, I watched uh, late 90s. I watched you know, UFC. It was a it was a big deal to me. I, of course, we, I watched boxing. You know, that was a, that was the other thing that we gathered around the TV and watched together when we were overseas. But now then it, be, then it evolved into the UFC. Uh, so when they made that jump to, to ESPN, we were you know just absolutely thrilled. Uh, we this is the third year that we have been with them. Uh, in in 2019, they invited a group of veterans to come out and train with Forrest Griffin at the UFC Performance Institute. Was one of the equals. I got the, to to tag along as the as the the DAV kind of advisor, uh, and they actually put me in front of the camera. And that was the first time I realized how gray my hair was. Uh, and we had a <laughs> they put together this just this amazing package where where all these different uh, uh, or where Forrest Griffin was 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 talking to these different veterans and and, and rolling with them and, and showing them how to throw straight punches and doing jujitsu with with someone like Cece Mazik who, who's paralyzed from the waist down you know showing her you know how she can do some self defense that that kind of thing spending a day having that opportunity in a place like the UFC Performance Institute which I tell people is like Hogwarts I mean you're just walking around this place yeah. like. Oh my God! There's Francis Ngannou with a cafeteria tray, sitting down, you know, eating an apple. You know, there's, you know, there's this person. There's that. These people who you watch, you know, in these bloody, amazing fights, uh, week after week. Who you, you're such, you know, I'm, you know, there's packs of Russians and, and all the rest. You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, unbelievable experience, and uh, you're just there in the middle of it. When of course last year during 2020. Uh, we we didn't uh, go out to the Performance Institute because obviously because of COVID, uh, but UFC was the only game in town. They had all of this footage of, of DAV out there, and uh, they were still supporting us. So they uh, you know had announcements that were brought to you by DAV. And then they had a bunch of last year was our our 100 year anniversary, and they had I want to say it was about 15 different fighters, including Daniel Cormier at the time. He was, I guess, still considered a fighter, not an announcer, just not strictly an announcer. Right. Uh, uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley. 
all these guys who are, who are uh, just giving shout outs on Veterans Day uh, or throughout the year, I should say, uh, leading up to Veterans Day uh, for our 100 year anniversary for our centennial. Uh, and then this year, just two weeks ago, had the chance to go out once again to the UFC Performance Institute, got to hang around with Tatiana Suarez, again with Forrest Griffin, uh, with uh, Cody Stamen and with uh, Juliana Rosa. And then we all as a group, we went out to uh, the Nevada State Mem Veterans Memorial uh, and had a group of disabled veterans explain to them, um, you know, talking to them about the different eras of service, what, what they knew about that, why they joined, and just talking to each other uh, about overcoming adversity. You know, there's more in common than you might think uh, between a guy like uh, uh, Oscar Alguin, um, a, a young man who, who lost his leg in Iraq to an IED at 19 years old, who's now walked on a prosthetic leg longer than he walked on that actual leg. Uh, so a very young man, lost his, lost his leg, has a chance to sit there and talk uh, to Cody Stamen, uh, who had to fight just weeks after his, he lost his brother, um, and to talk about what it means to overcome adversity. That's a pretty cool experience. And there's just you just see that through line you see that uh, that bond and you, you see that that these are warriors who you know appreciate one another. Before we let you go, all of my callers, when they called, said, hey, I want to thank all the veterans for their service and all that. So every throughout the day, how can they actually get in touch with your organization and help? Let them know that, please. The, the easiest way, DAV.org. Just come to the website. Uh, of course, we always appreciate we, we rely on the generosity of the American public. We are a nonprofit. We are a charity. We help more than a million veterans every year. Um, there's volunteer opportunities. Uh, of course, we love just people sharing our information and, and uh, you know, talking to others uh, about their support and their love of veterans. That's 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 huge. That's important. You know, follow us on social media, but come to DAV.org if you really want to get involved. Thank you so much for your time. Rob Lewis, National Communications Director for the Disabled American Veterans Organization. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey, enjoy your Veterans Day. We're going to take a little time off. Uh, but for everybody who's been calling and saying, hey, thanks to the veterans for more information and to donate to DAV, check out DAV.org and help give back to these heroic men and women in our armed forces. Don't just say it on the air. Go out and do it. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. In honor of Veterans Day, what is our or some of our favorite military movies? Now, let me do a little background here, right? Let me just like, here's where we're coming from. Uh, I am from, I guess, kind of a military family, not, not that much. My father was in the United States Air Force, 1960 to 1964. My grandfather was in World War I and the Philippine-American War and uh, chased around Pancho Villa through northern Mexico and southern Texas. Okay, long story. But... Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I might have a cousin who's career Air Force. He, both of his kids, I think, are career Air Force. So I have, like, some military background in my family. I was never in the military myself. So here's the deal. When I look at best military movies, what's kind of funny here is 
in the note that that KOB gave me, and we're talking about this, uh, in honor of Veterans Day, what are our favorite military movies? Are there any movies that made us wish we joined? Here's, I think, the contrast that's very, very important. A An accurate military movie isn't a propaganda piece. It's good because it's horrible and terrible and shows how difficult war can be. So the best military movie, define that as the one that makes the military look the best. That's one thing. If there's one that is honest about war and its difficulties and horrors and all this stuff, that might not be the same thing. KOB, is that all fair? When we say best military movies, most accurate or one that makes the military look the best aren't necessarily the same thing, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. I always just laugh because there are certain movies I watch where I'm like, I kind of thought I was a man, but then I watch this and I'm like, mm, no, me and Tim Kennedy are a far cry from each other, like, <laughs> based yeah. on some of the things some of these special forces can do. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there. And anyway, so the, the top of my list all time, and I'm saying this once again as a non-veteran, uh, the top of my list as far as military movies go, and as a history dork who studied a lot of this stuff, Full Metal Jacket is one of my all-time favorite movies, period, end of sentence. It is Stanley Kubrick's Vietnam movie, and they go through Paris Island, so it takes you through boot camp, it takes you through marine training and all this stuff, and then uh, the Vietnam War. And historically, it deals with the Tet Offensive of 1968 and the recapture of the city of Hue. The kind of fighting they show in the the uh, movie is different. Of course, a great book, by the way, called Hue by, I think it's Roger Bowden. Great book if you want to read anything about it. That stuff was house to house. Hue was a beautiful city, the jewel of Southeast Asia. And they actually couldn't bomb the city of Hue because they didn't want to destroy all the cultural stuff in the city. So it was the original capital of Vietnam. I don't have time to go into the whole history of it. But uh, it's absolutely amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing movie about the training in Vietnam and how difficult it was. That's got to be the top of mine. Also, Saving Private Ryan. I know it's just a go-to for so many people. It's one of the most amazing opening scenes ever in a movie, period, of any genre. So that's an absolutely incredible one as well. What other ones jump out to you, KOB? So I, I feel like this is a little bit of recency bias because I keep seeing it on television all the time. And like what I was talking about before about you'll watch movies and you'll be like, I'm not a man compared to these people. Uh, I don't know. It's not, it's not really your classic military movie, but 13 Soldiers. I'm sorry, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Dude, that movie is outrageous what those guys were able to do that night. And you watch I have like, not. I have not seen it. Oh, dude, like they were on their own. Basically, everyone knew where they were. The whole city was coming after them. Like that movie is uh, amazing. Underrated jam, I think. Fury, the tank movie with Brad Pitt. Fury, I thought that was good. Yeah, that was really good. good. Yeah. Um, and another one that I've been watching that's been on TV a decent amount, uh, Midway. Midway, that yeah. Whole, you know what it is? Me? Like, everyone loves Top Gun and stuff like that because of the fighter pilots. But like, you watch that, it's like, dude, you really, really had to pair of, had to have a pair of brass ones to be an Air Force pilot back in like the World War II days. Those those planes went down pretty easy. And you had to basically dive bomb and drive straight into a ship that's just shooting at you the entire way. Yes. In order to drop a bomb. The guys who had dive who were dive bombers who had little torpedo bombs, those things didn't work half the time, so you were basically flying into it no matter what. Notoriously <laughs> like, unreliable. Yeah. I, I right. watch that movie every time. I'm like, Jesus, you really had to be like carved out of stone to be yeah. an Air Force pilot back in those days. So for me, those movies, especially like ones that are based in truth, like the like, true events. 
like when you watch it and you're like, God, these guys were off the wall, like heroic and brave to do uh, courage out the ass to do this job. Like, good Lord. Th- those movies ring out to me a lot of the time. All right. 1917. Did you see that one? By the way, an epic, unbelievable movie in terms of a cinematography. I have not got it's around all to that one It's all one yet. long shot. It's amazing. It's amazing. I can't. I don't know how they filmed it. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I haven't seen that one yet, but for me coming up again, too, Black Hawk Down was a big one. Yep. Uh, just to really see. I, I always know Luke Thomas, he had made me watch The Outpost, which he claimed was like very realistic to like. It's a true story. And you, when you see it, you almost think it couldn't be because they had this military outpost in the middle of like, uh, I think it was Afghanistan, that was just surrounded by cliffs and Taliban area. Like you, you would think to yourself, like, why would anyone put an outpost there? That, that you're right. putting your people at a massive defensive liability right now. But it was real. And Luke had always told me that that captured like you know military life in terms of being in these posts, like better than most movies he had seen. I've heard that about Jarhead as well. Do you like Jarhead? I like. It's funny. I always had a friend who was mad at that movie. He's like, nothing happens. I'm yeah, like, no, yeah, nothing kind of, happens. It's it's I'm a like, war movie without the war. It really saying, is. Like, yeah, there's that no was war. kind of the point of the film was that this guy is kind of waiting to do something and nothing ever really comes up within that war. Uh, so it was okay. Yeah, but I heard the same thing about that too. Kind of captures military life. But yeah, I'm kind of I kind of want things to happen. Like I need to see some kind of combat yeah. in a war movie. I, I want to explain. And also, by the way, another great movie, The Hurt Locker. Remember that one? Did you ever see that? I love that movie. too. Oh, it's good. But it has that tension of like, I don't want to say the boredom, but like. They're waiting around, waiting around, waiting around. And then it's, I have to defuse this bomb that might blow my everybody within like, a, you know, 50 yards of this thing into dust, right? It's that nothing happens and then it's terrifying. You know what the I mean? The first time around when I watched that movie, I don't think I've ever been so antsy during a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I, I'm, I'm realistic when I go into movies. I'm like, yeah, they're not going to kill the main character, like, very early into the film. But every single time you watch him disarm something, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, like, oh, especially, like, the one scene where he just pulls out a bunch of them. <laughs> like, after yes. he thinks he disarmed one. You're like, oh, Jesus. Like, yeah. it, it does do a great, the very first time around you watch it, it does do a great job just kind of making your, making kind of sit at the edge of your seat. Like, oh, my God, how do you Holding that tension, right? Yeah. Um, Jeremy Renner, by the way, is amazing in it. And there's this scene where he's got all this, like, like anti-bomb stuff on him. The, you know, the, the mask and all that stuff. And he opens his trunk, and it's just full of explosive IEDs. And he turns around and walks back to the thing and starts taking all the stuff off. And the guy goes, what are you doing? He goes, there's enough back to send all of us to Jesus. I'm going to die comfortable. And goes back and disarms. Remember that? He's like, ah, none of this is going to protect me if this blows up. So why am I going to sweat my balls off, right? The moment he throws his headphones off, too, because the guy keeps like, oh, we're getting out of here. How are we doing in there? I kind of laughed. I'm like, I feel like I would do the same thing because at a certain point you're trying to disarm a bomb. I'm like, did you stop bothering me right now? Yes. <laughs> and just throws the cans off. I remember having to explain that like final scene to, to a girlfriend at the time because who I was dating. She didn't quite get like the explanation that, that he's giving to his son about being over there. I'm like, you don't understand. Like what he's saying is like he lives in a constant adrenaline rush with the job, which is what he and he's also important over there. He goes back home, he's back to just, you know, getting gross or stuff like that and doesn't feel the same. Yeah, it's not exactly every soldier that goes over there, but for him, like, the job he does is important. He's an important guy. He lives with this constant rush of trying to yeah. disarm bombs. And when he goes back to his home life, it's just not the same thing. It's very mundane to him. Like, that's uh, the idea of what they're trying to say. Another uh, – a movie that has been, once again, kind of cartoonified and, and, and all this stuff. The first Rambo movie, First Blood, the first one. If you, have you seen it, KB? Then everybody has. Yeah, of course, yeah. All right, okay. I just, no, no. It's about the struggles of 
Vietnam veterans coming back home. That's what it's about. It's not about a psychopath out killing people. It's that's the underlying theme of the movie, and that's what makes it important and relevant and, and everything. That's what makes you empathize with um with the character, John Rambo. And he says a, the same thing at the end. There's this brilliant speech. Um talking to Colonel Trotman, he says I'm somebody I'm somebody over there. I'm in charge of million dollar equipment here. I can't get a job parking cars. And it's just you, you can't ever understand that. As a civilian, I have never lived two lives in that regard. And a lot of these people have. The one movie that I think like made you want to join, I guess, and I, 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 it's not particularly accurate with the physics and everything, but Top Gun probably is the most like propaganda piece military. You know what I mean? Like the cool, good-looking guys playing volleyball and then you know flying jets, right? That's like the propaganda piece of my childhood. Am I wrong? A little bit, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I, I, yeah. I think I think Air Force uh, enlistment went up way up way big after that movie, if totally. I remember correctly. Like, and it was because of that whole like. Oh my god, it looks so cool being an Air Force pilot. Right, the yeah. coolest guys in the world. Aviator glasses and bomber jackets and all that stuff. Like that's why I laugh with it, with, with when I when I contrast and compare it to Midway. Where it's like there no one was trying to like make anyone an Air Force pilot again, but that's what I'm saying, like those planes that they flew in World War Two, World War One, not the most reliable planes in nope. the world. <laughs> Nope. You didn't have the technology. You had to really do some math on the fly and like figure out certain things. But uh yeah, I would say that was a big uh big propaganda piece. How did you feel about Lone Survivor? Because I love that movie, but I, I've heard mixed things from people. Like it just wasn't uh, enough for them. I don't think I've seen I've seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing all the way through. I know it's a true story, mm-hmm. but I it's like another one that's that that's that I, I've heard mixed things about from veterans is Three Kings. Remember that one? Yes. Yeah. It, kind that's of another, military, that's another right? underrated film. It's very – I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. But in terms of the overall realism and, and, and that kind of thing, I, I can't speak to it that well. I enjoyed what I saw of Lone Survivor. I didn't see the whole thing. Um, and, like, is it harder to make a movie about a war that is ongoing that we have at best mixed feelings about, meaning Afghanistan, Iraq, stuff like that? Do you think that's harder to do than – Vietnam that my dad could have fought in, but I have no personal connection to. Is it a little different, Kibby? I, I think it is. I think there is yeah. something to that. Like I think if you're a history buff, you'll still enjoy those movies on World War II. Where I, I know I always do, and I wouldn't consider myself like a massive history buff. But I do think like these wars that are in Afghanistan, Iraq, all that like my kind of the wars my generation has grown up with, they yeah. tend to ring out to you a little bit more. Uh, of like you're a little bit more curious. Like I said, thirteen hours was a, was a new story that happened several years ago. Like not even that. Like was it twenty twelve? That I think that yeah. whole thing happened. Um, so I think those recent events. I always feel weird when they do that when they go right away to it. But I do think it just kind of captures more of us because for us, we're seeing. For, if you're if you if you're someone like me or you who didn't join the military, right. you're kind of seeing the stuff that these guys are going through over there in Afghanistan. Like American snipers, another one that's that's pretty big. Um, it kind of gives you a little bit more of appreciation for what these guys are doing over there. I think another thing that that and this isn't just about you know movies or anything like that um, is we have a a um, my dad used to say that in his era there was no difference between someone in the military and anybody else. We got drafted. My dad joined the Air Force in 1960 because he was 19 years old. He was high school educated. His number was going to come up, and he knew it. 
And he said, well, rather than get drafted and go to a military branch that I can't choose, I'm going to volunteer so I can choose where I go. And he chose the Air Force because they had the best technical schools. That was it. That was the limit of my dad's patriotism. That was the limit of my dad's, you know, rah, rah, thinking about the military or anything like that. My dad didn't think that way. He just went, well, I'm going to get drafted anyway, so I might as well go where I want to go. Okay? So his idea, which he told me when I was a kid, he goes, now there are professional soldiers. You have to volunteer in order to go to the military. You have to, so you're like set aside in society. Right? We trip over ourselves to say, oh, my God, thank you for your service. And you're amazing and all this stuff. My dad said that they didn't do that when I came back from the military because everybody went to the military. You didn't choose to. You didn't want to. You got drafted. So we weren't special. We weren't different. We weren't better. The fact that I was in the Air Force didn't make me. I didn't get to board the airplane first because everybody had to do it. Now in our society, there's, a, 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 there's almost like a... a, a a how can I put it like a like a this 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 a fanboy kind of God I wish I would have or could have and and he goes that that didn't happen when you could get drafted and go and you didn't intend to am I man enough it makes it there, it asks questions that weren't asked when my dad went to the military and his whole generation got drafted to Vietnam my dad's service ended right before Vietnam he didn't have to go to Vietnam he had already served. So it's interesting questions, and movies that ask those questions to me are more compelling. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.